The following podcast is brought to you by the Station of the Cross. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. Good to see you. Uh, I can't see you, but you can see me. (laughs) It's good to be with you. Uh, I pray that all is well, and you know how much God loves you, and you never, ever forget that. Wake up every morning and say, Blessed Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for living in me. Thank you for uh, coming to earth. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead to give me life. Thank you for the gift of faith. Thank you for all the blessings you've given me. And thank you for all the trials you've given me. How could we thank God for trials? Because um, our Lord said that we need to give him thanks in all things and that he works all things together for good, not for everybody, but to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And so... um, we give him thanks in all things, and that's, that acknowledges that everything we have is from him, the good and what we think is bad. But what we think is bad is good from God's end, because whom he loves, he disciplines. And whom he loves, he sends messengers of Satan to, just like he did to St. Paul, to raise us up, to keep us from pride, to, to uh, grow us up in virtue and holiness. Nothing touches us, beloved. Nothing, nothing, nothing touches us that's not from God. Absolutely nothing. We are going to continue this morning in, um, where's my little, my little light? Hold on one moment. I'm tangled here. We're going to continue in the Catechism Explained this morning. And I'm, I'm just so happy with this book. There's so many catechisms. Um, and um, I learned about this one from Father Chad Ripiker, who's an outstanding priest, exorcist, teacher, uh, magnificent priest. And uh, he said this is what he considers the best one. And now that we're reading it together, I also think it's exactly that. It's the best one. It is the Catechism Explained. And um, uh, that's what it is. It It is explained. Uh, so you can read it through with your family, by yourself, with a Bible study group, with a faith group, with any kind of group, a catechism group, a catechism study group, and you can learn your faith. And we can immerse ourselves in the truths of God amidst all the... I'm just going to use the word horror of our day, the the evil that's going on uh, in the world and in the church. We can immerse ourselves in the faith once delivered to the saints, which has not changed in 2,000 years and absolutely will not change and can not change. Truth is truth. Truth doesn't develop. Truth is eternal. Our Lord said he is the truth, the way, the life, and the truth. He does not change. Truth does not change. Our understanding of the truth can develop for sure. Our application to our lives, to our faith, surely can develop and has through the years. Um, In fact, the the best book that I've read on this, and it actually helped me into the church, um, is Cardinal, now St. Cardinal Henry, uh, John Henry Newman's essay on the development of Christian doctrine. It develops as an acorn develops into the tree. So the faith once delivered to the saints that was complete with the last apostle, no more revelation after the last apostle, absolutely none. But the development of that doctrine and the understanding is, is uh, endless, I would say. And so the acorn develops into the tree. And when you look at the acorn, if you didn't know, you couldn't see the tree. And when you see the tree, finally, uh, you'd never imagine it came from that tiny little acorn because they don't resemble one another. But the acorn is living. 
and it, it's uh, uh, it's a growing um, uh, organism that grows into a tree that covers the whole world. And Cardinal Newman show, showed in that book how you can trace the acorn into the tree and into its branches and into its leaves, and you can trace the leaves, the branches back into the acorn, and you can determine um, what is true and false growth. And so it took me almost five years to... Um, to come to understand what is the true growth of the church that God said he would establish. He didn't say, I will build Christianity. He did not. Um, he said, I will build a church. I will build a church. Christianity um, is the word that developed from uh, the Jews, calling the Jews who did not believe, calling the Jews who did believe Christians. And the reason they called them Christians, it was a term of mockery, uh, derision. Um, in, in, uh, in the day um, uh, when Christ uh, built his church and the apostles were here and the first believers were Jews and the church was based and built on the apostles and prophets, all Jews, the Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah and indeed God come to earth, mocked and persecuted the Jews who did believe. They said that they're following the way of false messiah. And in those days, when the Jews were subject to the Romans, in time, um, uh, every seven years, they were to set their slaves free. But in the Jubilee year, when the slaves were to be set free, if they came, they lived together. The slaves married and had children, and it was two families living together, but the slaves served them. But they were, in a sense, they became what Paul said, a bond slave. Um, he's a bond slave of Jesus Christ, and that means he has bonded himself to Christ of his own free will. He's not a slave by force, even of coercion, but of his own free will. And the slave came to love their master family so much that when they were set free, they said, uh, we don't want to be free. We love you. Our children play together. They love each other. We're families together. We want to continue to serve you now of our own free will. And they did that. And so what they did uh, often is take on the name of the family they served. So if they served a family named um, Smith, well, it's not very a Jewish name, Smith, but let's say it was Smith, then they would put the suffix I-A-N on. I-A-N is a suffix meaning belonging to. And so they would call themselves Smithian, Smithian, Smithians. We are the Smithians. We belong to the Smiths. Well, when the Christ was on the earth, you know his name is not Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus. It means God is salvation. And his title is Christ. He's not Mr. Christ. He is Jesus the Christ. In Hebrew, Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus the Christ. The Christ. Christ is the English word through the Greek spoken that day for Messiah. In Hebrew, Mashiach, in the uh, English translation of the Hebrew Messiah into the Greek um, Christos and into English Christ is Christ. It's the same word, and it means the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Redeemer, and Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ, and so uh, the Jews who didn't believe mocked the Jews who did and said, "You like him? You follow him? You foolish." Jews, you, you're his slaves. And they mocked them, and they said, you are Christians. They took the name Christ, and they attached the suffix, the suffix I-A-N, belonging to, you are Christians, is what you are. And that's the word Christian. That's how it came to be. And they were first cross, called Christians, um, Luke writes in the book of Acts, in Antioch. And it stuck and the Jews who loved and followed Christ said, we like that. We'll take it. We're Christians. We're Christians. We like that. We're proud to be called his followers, his disciples. And so it stu stuck. And so eventually, those who were Christians, their faith became known as Christianity. Christian, Christianity. Christianity. But Jesus didn't say 
I will build Christianity. No. He said, I will build my church. I will lead it into all truth till the end of time, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So it's not Christianity he built in 40,000 different forms and denominations. Christ established no denomination. The Catholic Church is not a denomination. It is the church Christ established. It is the ecclesia, the community of called out ones, called out of the world into his church. And ecclesia is the Greek for uh, the Hebrew, kahol, which is the same thing, an assembly called out people in the Old Testament who God brought together and gave gave a way of life and a hierarchy and a government and a liturgy and a form of worship and a way of living and uh, all of that. And it was, if any Jew in that day did his own thing, he'd be put to death. And when God said to his disciples who had been living under that kahal, as the people of God, I will build my church, he built it on the kahal. It just became ecclesia because uh, in that day the common language was Greek. And so called out ones is ecclesia. That's the church. Ecclesia. We say ecclesia. Ecclesial to describe the church. And so uh, it was very understandable to the Jews of that day that when our Lord said that it was going to be Israel that was through the prophets that was given to the entire world, to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. They understood that. There was no understanding that they were then free to leave the people of God, to leave the form of worship, the priesthood, all that he gave, absolutely not. He did not do away with the priesthood, but he gave a new priesthood under Christ, who was the high priest. And um, and the people of God became the people of God who were grafted onto the root, which is Israel. There's so much in here I know, but I was listening to a most beloved Protestant pastor of mine the other day, and he simply kept speaking about Christianity, not the church. He would he would describe the church as an invisible body of believers, but we've never been an invisible body of believers. We are to be a city set on a hill, and Israel was never to be an invisible body of believers. God put them down right in the midst of the pagan world, and they were to live as a peculiar people with different customs, different food, different clothing, different worship. They were to be peculiar in the midst of a pagan world so that the people around them would look at them and say, what are you doing like that? How come you're so different? How come you worship on Saturday? How come you don't work on the Sabbath? How come you this? How come you do that? And the people of Israel would say, it's because we're children of the one true God. And you can be children of the one true God also. There's no salvation outside of him. You see, and that's what God intends for his church. That we'd be, we'd be a people set apart with a government, with a hierarchy, with a worship, uh, with a form of worship, with a priesthood that, again, is after the priesthood of Christ. A common priesthood, just like the Old Testament, uh, Exodus 19 and 20, God had a priesthood uh, for the people, which would be the ministerial priesthood, and also the people, Israel, with a common priesthood. They were the people of God to bring the world to Christ. And so we today, beloved, we are the priesthood of Christ, every one of us, the common priesthood, the church that would bring men to God, that would live according to God's rules and worship and and hierarchy and liturgy and 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 um, customs and all of that, and then a ministerial priesthood, who is the priesthood um, after the order of Melchizedek, like Christ. Um, it, it, if we only knew the treasure we had, beloved, God did not spend two thousand years from Abraham, or rather even fifteen hundred years from giving the law of Moses to Christ, to do away with all that He was all that he expected of his people. Absolutely not. He expected them to keep the law, and they couldn't keep the law. And instead of coming to God and saying, we're sinners, we can't keep the law. We know your law is right and holy and good, but we are sinful and we can't keep it. We need your help. That's what God wanted them to realize, but they didn't realize that. 
when they couldn't keep the law God gave, they made up their own rules that they could keep, which, of course, is no way to God or salvation. And so they turned from God over and over and over again. And our Lord came through Israel to do what Israel could not do, what no human being could do, and that is to keep the law. He became man. He took on our flesh and blood. He took on our nature through the Virgin Mary. He became one of us to do what Adam failed to do, and that is to keep the law. And because Christ kept the law, the perfect man, the perfect Jew, and God, uh, I learned in my Protestant years that because Christ kept it, we don't have to, and in fact, we can't. That's not correct. It's because Christ kept it that we, empowered by his Spirit, for the first time, we can keep it, and we must keep it. The Ten Commandments are not passe. They're not a, a nice inheritance from the Old Testament. They are God's law, beloved. They are the law that God put in our heart that he wrote on stone uh, in the Ten Commandments. And they are ours to keep, beloved. They are ours to keep. Can we keep them any more than the Israelites? No. But can we who are now in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit keep them? Yes, we can and we must. There's no salvation apart from Christ and his law. Um, We need salvation is by grace. It's a gift. But it is, uh, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We work out what God has worked in. I know that's a lot. I'd like to take an hour on it, probably every sentence. But we are the richest people this side of heaven, beloved. We are the richest people in the entire world. We have more than Israel because Israel did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Uh, God sent his spirit upon the prophets uh, upon uh, uh, his ministers, Moses, David, for a purpose and for a time. But with us through baptism, he comes to live within us, and he sends his indwelling spirit in us, and we can turn from him. He won't turn from us, but we can turn from him. We can sin by um, despising his law, by not keeping the moral law, by not keeping the requirements of the church, which is God's requirements for us, um, we can turn from God, beloved, and be lost. And if we're lost and we turn from him, we can do our own thing. He's given us the freedom to turn from him. But there's no salvation to be found in anyone but Christ. And not in Christianity, but in his church, which is Christianity. Anything outside of the church, the Catholic Church that our Lord has established, is a truncated or, um, um, I don't know how to say it, it's a partial Christianity, which is not even partial in a sense because it's wrong. It's not based on the church and the sacraments that God has given, beloved. Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. It's true. It's true. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. That's why the Jews turned from him. That's why the Jews turned from him, because the law said you cannot eat the flesh of of an animal or drink its blood. You must not. And Jesus said, I am the final Passover lamb. I am the Passover lamb that must be consumed. I am your life. Beloved, If you want to be saved, if you want to live with God for all eternity, you need to come into the home on earth that he has established, the Catholic Church, the home on earth, the home where God will empower you to be a new creation in Christ, to have a new mind, a new spirit, to take away your heart of stone, as he said he would do through Ezekiel, and give us a heart of flesh, and live his law, and be free. Only the truth, Jesus said, will set you free. The Pharisees and, um, argued with him. They argued with him. And he said, no. He said, you, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. And he's talking about the Old Testament scripture because the New Testament wasn't written then. And he said, you're right. In them you have eternal life because they speak of me. 
they point to me. Jesus said, if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me because Moses spoke of me. Beloved, there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And you say, well, what if somebody's not in the Catholic Church, but they're a good person? Nobody is saved by their goodness. We're all sinners. When the rich young ruler who had kept all the law came to Jesus and said, what do we, what do, what do we need? Good master, what, thing, what do we need to have eternal life? And Jesus said, why do, you, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Do you know that? Do you know that if you're calling me good, you're acknowledging that I'm God? Do you realize that? That's what he was saying. Only God is good, beloved. He makes us good. He does. He gives us a new heart, a new mind to desire to be good. But apart from him, truly we can do nothing. We can do evil, but we cannot do good. And we can do nothing of eternal value. Nothing. Uh, whatever road you're on, beloved, if you're a Catholic and you've been living your own life, then you're lost. If you're a Catholic, beloved, and you're not keeping the sacraments, and you're not going to confession, and you're not going to Mass, Holy Mass on Saturday, and you're not living the commandments, um, not because the commandments will save you. God saves you, but he won't save you without the commandments. And so if you're living your own thing, you are lost and you are on the road to hell. If you're living in a moral life, if you're living with a, a man or a woman who's not your rightful spouse, you are on the way to hell, beloved. And you may say, well, because I'm hoping he'll convert, I'm hoping she'll convert, one day we're going to believe, one day we're going to become Christians, especially when we have children. Beloved, you may not live to see that day. You may die in your sleep this night. That's what our Lord said. You're building up for the future. But this night your soul may be required of you. If you're not living according to the faith of the church, the required faith, and you're not living according to the moral law of God, beloved, then you are on your way to hell. You're definitely not on your way to heaven. And if you're not on your way to heaven, there's no in-between. There is no in-between. Purgatory, beloved, is not in-between. Purgatory is the final place of sanctification for those who are saved by the blood of the Lamb, those who are on their way to heaven. It is the final stage. Paul wrote to um, the Philippians, I am convinced of this thing, that God will complete the work that he's begun in you until the day of Christ. And because we're stubborn and we don't complete it, we don't let him complete it, he's given us purgatory where we can complete, where we can work out our salvation. Well, we really cannot work it out in purgatory. We need to work it out with fear and trembling here on earth. We need to work in. We need to work out what God has worked in. But purgatory will be the final stage where God burns off the dross of our sins. And people say, well, that's not heaven because there's no tears in heaven. There's no fire in heaven. There's no suffering in heaven. And you're very right. There's none of that in heaven. That's purgatory. When Paul wrote to the Christians in the first church he established to, to the Corinthians, First um, Corinthians chapter 3, um, he said, there's no foundation that anyone can lay but Christ. And the apostles and the prophets built on that foundation. It is the church built that Christ built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And there's no other foundation can anyone lay but what Christ has done himself. And when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he was writing to those who were already, quote-unquote, saved in that they had given their lives to Christ through Paul's missionary journey. And he was writing to the Christians of that day who uh, would one day be rewarded at what is called the Bema Seat, the seat of, of reward for Christians. And he's saying some will be rewarded um, for what they've done uh, as soon as they die and others who have not uh, lived out their faith but who are saved even in the end 
will be burned. The works that are, do not last for eternity will be burned up um, in order that they may go to heaven. Oh, this time, there's the music for our break. I better go, beloved. Call in with anything on your heart, toll free, one 511 5483 We'll be right back. Displaying a Catholic radio bumper magnet on your car is a great way to evangelize without even saying a word. It offers others the ability to tune in, in the privacy of their vehicle, and open their heart to Christ and His Church. Request your free Catholic radio bumper magnets today. Visit thestationofthecross.com and click the Promote tab at the top of our website. That's thestationofthecross.com. Then click the Promote tab. Thank you for supporting Catholic Radio and helping to Spread the gospel message to everyone else on the road. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Hello, beloved, and welcome back to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you. You are welcome to call in with anything on your heart at all, uh, toll free at one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. You're also welcome to text um, at that toll free number as well. We're going to take our first email from Rob uh, in Scotland. Rob says, "Hello, mother. I would just like you to know that I'm listening to you all the way from an oil rig." offshore in the middle of the North Sea in Scotland. Oh, that's too wonderful. Blessed be God for his uh, uh, media connections and electronics and all that he's allowed us to develop. Isn't that beautiful? I'm going to read that again. It's so wonderful. He said, I would like you to know that I'm listening to you all the way from an oil rig offshore in the middle of the North Sea, Scotland. And I wanted to tell you, I love your show, and I love this station. May God bless you and keep you safe with love, Rob. Well, you have my love, love, Rob. You've really begun my day. So you made my day. You made my month. How beautiful. And we give thanks to God that we can be the family of God um, come together through radio, through media, through television, through the Internet, all over the world. God bless you, my dear brother. Uh, We're going to say a prayer for you today. I'm so thrilled. Um, Okay, now we are going to, well, actually, we, we do pray for all of you. I should not just rob, but we pray for every single one who writes and who calls, um, all the time. So, um, um, okay, now we have a call from Tom in Topsville, Massachusetts. Are you there, Tom? I am, Mother. Good morning. Hi, dear. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you, dear Tom. Go ahead. Do you have a question? Yes. <clears throat> Go ahead, sweetie. Um, uh, may the catechism be changed? Mother? No. I heard that it may not. It may not. Okay, so... um, The faith expressed in the catechism cannot be changed. If there's a grammatical error or something like that, it's not an infallible doctrine like the scriptures are. But, I mean, even, even, you know, that's a different thing. But the truths expressed in the catechism cannot be changed. They are the truths of the church. Okay, I was... I had heard that the catechism, and I had read that the catechism regarding the death penalty has been changed and that the death penalty is no longer regarded as permissible in in the civilized world. Not I that under- I'm pro-death penalty. I, no, I, I understand. don't want anyone to. I understand. I, I understand that 
Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I had it with me, Tom. I'm going to get it and maybe go through it tomorrow for everybody. Cardinal Burke was interviewed, had a wonderful interview on many confusing things in the church today um, that are being done and um, handed down by the Vatican, um, so to speak. And this was one of them. And can the catechism be changed? Can the death penalty be changed? Uh, can we introduce ecological sins into the catechism? The answer is no. No. Um, uh, the answer is no. And I, I'm so happy for Cardinal Burke's uh, clarification on this. I, I can't leave my little... Um, a tiny studio here to go get it but um if i could find it online during the break i will but the he wrote he had that interview uh, everyone could look it up in fact it's an interview cardinal burke had i believe with the wanderer newspaper um and uh he said it cannot be changed and so if things are put into the catechism such as the death penalty and ecological ecological sins and all um, it's not going to be a, a good catechism, but it's, it's not going to be binding on us. We need to stay with the catechism. We have that. I would never have the nerve myself um, to say those things uh, to anyone or certainly over the air. But uh, because Cardinal Burke has clarified it and he's not the only one, I have the courage to do that, Tom. I'm very glad you called in with the question because many people are confused about that. Thank you, Mother. What is the catechism you're reading to us this morning? What I'm reading to you is the catechism explained. Let me see if I can help you to see it. Um, well, I just because there's different versions of it, whether it's, it's hard. Let me just see if I can put this up somehow before... If I can put it up for you. There it is. It's um, the Catechism Explained, an exhaustive explanation of the Catholic Church. That's Barago Clark. And it says here, a practical manual. Um, I'll, I'll, here, I have to read it. For use of the preacher, the catechist, the teacher, and the family. It's truly wonderful. It is the Catechism of Trent. Um, and it was recommended by Father Ripiger. And I will read anything Father Ripica recommends. Um, and it, certainly I don't speak any against our current catechism at all. But this is very clear and it has a full explanation. So anyone, any family um, uh, can read this and you don't have to be a theologian to teach your children. It explains everything it says. It, it's... Uh, and so I recommend that, and I should look it up. Uh, I know Amazon has it, and there's a soft cover edition. I don't think it's that expensive, but it's a lifetime book, so that's what I'm reading. Thank you very much, Mother. God bless you. you. Have God a bless you too, there, Tom. God bless you. Um, okay, now hold on a minute. Um, we have an email from Seth. And Seth says, since listening to your show, uh-oh, let me, let me see where I am on here. Okay, since listening to your show, I started receiving communion on the tongue. That's wonderful, Seth. That's wonderful. However, and in fact, what many people don't know is that um, that's the norm. That's not an exception. It is the norm. Um we, the exception might be that we have the freedom to receive communion in the hand. People think that's the norm and the tongue's the exception. It's the other way around, beloved. It's not the case. Um, there's the music for our break, beloved. We'll be right back to finish um, and answer Seth's email. Feel free to call in with anything on your heart. Um, 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com we'll be right back dear ones
users of iCatholic Radio are leaving inspiring reviews in the iTunes and Google Play stores. Margie says, My go-to app. I love this channel. I can listen while busy around the house or driving in the car. I love the variety of programs. Keep up the good work. Michaela from New Zealand says, I love this app. I have it on Bluetooth in my car radio and listen to it all day, every day, and am encouraged in my Catholic faith. I would recommend this to the world, whether Christian or not, because it speaks to all people to become better people. I am now a huge follower of the American Catholic way of life because it's very similar to the way I was brought up in Fiji. The priests on the station are very straightforward, but are very understanding toward the audience at the same time. Love it, love it, love it. If you haven't reviewed iCatholic Radio yet, we'd love to hear from you. Visit our page at the iTunes or Google Play Store. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. To Mother Miriam Live, I'm so happy to be with you. And this is our last segment, so again, feel free to call in with anything on your heart. Um, Toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email, or te- email uh, at uh, mother at the station of the cross.com, and um, uh, text at the toll-free number as well. All right, now... Um, we have an email from Seth, um, who said we started just before the break. He says, hi, Mother Miriam. Uh, hello, Mother Miriam. Since listening to your show, I started receiving communion on the tongue. And I said how wonderful that was because that is the norm. The hand is allowed, but the norm today, not in the past, but today is the tongue. However, Seth says, I ran into an interesting document from the 30s, from rather the 300s, um, by St. Cyril, Bishop of Jerusalem, about receiving on the hand, which I found interesting. It was in Catechetical Lecture 23, paragraph 21, where it is written how to properly receive on the hand. That is, quote, make your left hand a throne for the right as for that which is to receive a king, which is exactly this instructions that uh, people are given to receive on the hand today. Make your left hand a throne to receive your right hand as to receive a king. Um, Dr. Taylor Marshall refutes this argument, saying that there's a lack of context in the early church, and he went on to cite St. Basil, now, I don't, saying the lack of context in the early church, I'm not sure, I think there may be some words missing. The email actually reads, this argument saying that there is a lack context in the early church. I don't know, I think something's missing in those words. There's not a lack of context in the early church to my, I mean, there's maybe a lack of context for St. Cyril's uh, description, just if, if someone described it that way today, it would be 100% true, but the context would be poor if one didn't first say that the norm is on the tongue and there needs to be reasons for receiving on the hand. So, Dr. Taylor Marshall, this is going on with Seth's e- email, Dr. Taylor Marshall refutes this argument saying that there, oh, he says, a lack of context in the early church. He went on to cite St. Basil, who said communion in the hand was allowed under these circumstances. Number one, under times of persecution where no priest is present. Um, And secondly, for hermits and ascetics in the wilderness who do not have priests. So what I'm guessing is that where there's a priest... Um, nobody's hand should touch the Blessed Sacrament except that priest. Um, Let me just see, is there any merit to St. Cyril's lecture? Um, 
Okay. Um, he says, thank you for your thoughts on this topic. He said, I believe raises plenty of hard feelings, if not controversy. Well, it does. And Seth, dear one, um, there's not enough information in your email in the context of where you've gotten these uh, words for me to give a right answer, a proper answer, a complete answer. Um, it doesn't say how those who don't have a priest or who are in the wilderness are to receive the Eucharist because if they're not priests themselves, they cannot celebrate Mass and they wouldn't be able to have the Eucharist at all So, unless someone brought it to them. So I think... Um, uh, I think we need to do a little more work on this for me to even give a, a right answer on this, dear one, uh, Seth. Okay, I'm sure you know the full measure of this message, but but I don't. So I'm going to need to do a bit of work on it and look up uh, St. Cyril and St. Basil's lectures on it. Okay, we're going to go to a third email on Brittany who says, Hi, Mother. For the past five years, my husband and I have been living in what we both described as self-imposed exile in the rural area of our our state. We have done this in order to shield our children from the state of our society. We have been attending a parish where there is a faithful and holy priest who is practically exiled from our diocese because of what he speaks about. Okay, now, Brittany, you said practically exiled, but not exiled, so that's a good thing. Um, He has namely spoken about the debaucheries described um, by Parker in an email you read last month, and these two has caused, these two has caused me and my family I think you mean all these these debaucheries also have caused me and my family great pain. Given what you said about spreading the word of God rather than being thieves, would you consider my family and I moving into a rural area cowardly? What I said about spreading the word of God rather than being thieves, beloved, is that... um, it's actually a statement that Father Stan Fortuna of Father Groeschel's order said. He said, we've received the truth, we've received the gospel, and if we keep it to ourselves, we are thieves. I absolutely believe that. And so Brittany says she's keeping her family isolated um, because she wants to protect them with all the debaucheries going on. And so she said, given what you said about spreading the word of God rather than being thieves, would you consider my family and I moving into a rural era area? area cowardly how can i and my beloved how can i and my beloved discern what is best for our family without regretting anything thank you for your timely and faithful insights that's a very wonderful question Brittany. your heart is in the right place i would say that um no you shouldn't regret anything but if you have young children homeschooled children, which I'm hoping you do, um, to move them into a rural area where they can grow up together, hopefully with other children in the country, perhaps in that rural area, so they're not totally isolated, they have some socialization. Um, I think it's a good thing. I really think it's a good thing in this day, Brittany. You're not being a thief. Your vocation, number one, is to spread the gospel first to those God has given you, which is your husband and your children. And your husband's first vocation is to spread the gospel in his vocation, which is to his wife and children. First, the family. And if you need to isolate the family to be able to truly spread the gospel and raise them up as saints and live the faith, that's what you're called to do. There's no selfishness in that. There's no cowardice in that. In fact, it, it takes courage to do that. So I applaud you. And if you found a priest who is a bit ostracized, but not totally because he's also teaching the truth, blessed be God for that priest. You've got a wonderful situation. 
It shouldn't be that way, but it is that way. And in fact, we're Benedictines here, Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. And if you look at the life of St. Benedict, he was completely isolated. He, he didn't even intend to start an order. He lived in a cave. But people came to him because they wanted to be holy. And Benedictine communities grew up all over the world. Uh, we have Clear Creek uh, Abbey, which is an hour from us here in Tulsa. They're in Oklahoma, in Hubbard, Oklahoma. And... Um, They're on thousands of acres of land, and they're isolated, and they're doing what St. Benedict did. They're living the faith in the midst of a world that's not, and they've got a lot of land, and many families are coming and buying pieces of their land, buying plots, buying acres, raising their families there. So it's really what some people call the Benedictine option. Um, and so, uh, no, what you're doing is, is very good. Hold on a second. My, my screen just jumped. Hold on one moment. Um, okay. How can I and my husband discern what's best for our family without regretting anything? It seems to me what you're doing is best for your family. Always pray to Our Lady. Always go before God as a couple and pray the rosary every night as a family and Ask God's discernment. There is no way, if you're living that life, no way that God will not lead you. And hopefully your priest will be your spiritual director, or you'll have a good spiritual director. There's no way, if you're living that life, that God will not lead you in what is best for your family. And you'll know you've done what's best. Will you have regrets? You should not, but it's human. I have regrets that here I am in Tulsa, and I can't be all over the world. That's what I want. That's what I told Cardinal Berg when we first met. I want to put my arms around the world, and I can't, you know? And that's why I'm so grateful for Station of the Cross and LifeSite News that at least we could spread out a little bit. But um, we can only be in one place at one time. And if you're married, I know many uh, people that get married and the women are, or the men are very strong in pro-life ministry and church ministry and other things. And they continue that in their marriage and they ruin their family and they ruin their marriage. Because God has not called them to that. If he's called them to marriage, he's called them to that, number one. Uh, at the expense of everything else. Nothing comes before your husband. Nothing comes before your wife. Nothing and no one comes before your children, not even your parents. And so you're doing what is right. And the things that you regret that you can't do, um, then those are the things that you can take to prayer and ask God to save the world and to bring um, people for the harvest. You can do that, but it's not your vocation. Now, as the children grow older and they go off to school, they're going to spread out and they're going to be part of um, uh, college or or other uh, society. And it is good to have them um, socialize and it is good to take them on mission trips so that they see the poor, so that they go into the city, so that they bring clothing and food to the poor, so that they reach out with the God. That's a good thing, to take them on mission trips, but they need to live at home and be raised in holiness. So I hope, um, dear Brittany, that that has helped you. We have an email from Randy who said, I listened to Megan's email about bullying last December and several listeners with questions about adopting children. With all of that said, it has occurred to me that adopted or foster children are also major targets of bullying at school. You know what, Randy? I haven't thought of that. I'm not even finished with your sentence, but I think you're right. It should not be, but unfortunately, you're probably right. Um, He said, it's occurred to me that adopted or foster children are also major targets of bullying at school, likely due to pride of being in a biological family. Certainly pride and lack of gratitude. I was recently appointed headmaster at a private Catholic charter school. Given my authority vested in me by the school board, how can I be explained or how can... How can I explain to a student who lives with their biological family and bullies an adopted or fostered student the error of his or her ways and hold him or her, him or her accountable? With public schools seemingly softening their disciplinary policies, 
I want to show the students that disciplinary policies I put in place are meant to teach responsibilities. So how can I line up these policies with the Ten Commandments to the best of my ability? Thank you, and I appreciate your advice. That's outstanding, Randy. What you do, I'll tell you the discipline I would give to uh, children raised in a biological family who bully foster children. I'll tell you what I would do. I would call them aside and ask them what's so wonderful about their family. What's, tell, them, tell you what's wonderful about their parents and their siblings. Now, if they love their parents and they have a wonderful family, you need to in, in put it into them to express to them that they should be grateful for these things. And I would say to them, if you were fostered, if you lost your parents and another family put you up, put you in because you were in the street, would that make you less grateful or more grateful? It would make you more grateful that you have a family, you have parents now. Um, I'll tell you, I may continue this tomorrow, um, but what I would do is, um, uh, as a way of discipline, I would put together a mission trip, and I would take them into the poor. I'd take them into the um, the poor areas of the city, um, and uh, I would take them into the homeless areas. I would take them into the areas where children live on the streets in filth. They don't go to school. They don't have food. They rob to eat. I would make sure you found that out. And I would take, that's the discipline I would give them. Take them into that and help them to help those children. And if they begin to help those children and bring them food and clothing and set up little tents for them so they have shelter, I don't think they'll continue to bully those children that are in foster homes in the school. Those are just some beginning thoughts, Randy. Anger won't help them. They need to learn what gratitude is. Okay, God bless you all, and we'll speak with you tomorrow. Hi, this is Bishop Ed Scharfenberger, the Bishop of Albany and the Apostolic. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Station of the Cross. The Station of the Cross is a listener-funded, nonprofit organization. If this podcast has helped you in your spiritual journey, please consider making a donation. Donations can be made through our website, thestationofthecross.com, or by calling 1-877-888-6279. You can also donate right through our free iCatholic Radio mobile app. Thank you for listening to and supporting the Station of the Cross, proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity.